and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. My name is Sarah Buddery. I'm MJ Smith, and this week we are looking at probably my favorite scene in the first half of the movie. Um, and it's if you're following along at home, the timestamp is. 11 minutes, 19 seconds to 12 minutes, 53 seconds. And it's the wonderful fairy scene um, between uh, Brody and Larry Vaughn, our intro to the man with the most well-tailored suits in all of Amity. (laughs) And uh, before that, we have Brody hand off the signs to um, Hendrix and have him go back to the station to have Polly do the printing and on his way back to the station, he catches Mayor Vaughn and tells Mayor Vaughn, hey, there's been a shark attack. And uh, Brody's on his way to stop the Boy Scouts from doing their mile swim. And as he gets on the ferry, Mayor Vaughn and uh, the medical inspector and is it the, the news guy, the guy from the Gazette? Yeah, I today learned his name. Um, The character's name is Harry Meadows. I don't think we ever Mm. get told that, but I believe he's the one played by Carl Gottlieb who wrote the script. Yes. Um, If my sources are correct. (laughs) I think you are right. He's in the book too, right? Isn't he kind of a bigger player in the book? Yeah, I think he has more of a significant role in the book he does he has some moments there's one moment he has later on which is super subtle but it always kind of catches me every time there's something he says or like Mm. a a particular spin he tries to put on on the situation so he he has a bit more to do later but in this he's basically just there as another yes man for for larry who's yeah surrounded by a a boatload of them Yes, quite literally. So he corners he corners Brody on here and starts talking to him about maybe pumping the brakes a little bit on announcing the shark attack to uh, the public because they need the money coming in from the summer visitors. And we end in the middle of that um, conversation after Brody gets basically betrayed by the medical examiner of mm-hmm. the island who says he was wrong and that it was maybe a boat propeller that did this to Chrissy. So uh, that's where we are. It's great. It's, (laughs) it's, I love this scene so much. Um, But Sarah, do you have any uh, observations out the gate with, uh, with this scene? I do. Yeah. First of all, I just want to uh, apologize for where this scene cuts off. And I confess when I was watching it, I continued to watch the rest of the scene. Um, it was really hard to try and figure out where to stop <laughs> where to stop this scene because it is quite a long shot and also the the camera for the most part when they're on the boat is fixed in one position as well so it's this great kind of one take um and it feels a shame to sort of cut it off halfway but it's that delicate balancing act of us not talking about too much or having like a very very short uh moment to talk about you know in the next episode so a little bit of a balancing act but i think there's still plenty to dive into in this scene and the great news is we get to continue talking about one of your favorite scenes uh in the first half of the film next week so just keep keep people hanging on uh to come back for next week's episode but yeah one thing i i really like about this scene is 
how directly it follows on from what happened before. And that seems like an obvious thing to point out when, you know, that is exactly what happens in a film. It is a, you know, sequence of events, one following the other. But I, you can literally see Chief Brody like driving off in the truck, like right at the start of the, <laughs> right at the start of this moment. Um, and Hendrix kind of then walking away with the materials, like you said. One thing that really makes me laugh in this scene is how loudly he yells about it being a shark attack. <laughs> yeah. And like, he's, it's not like there is no one else out in town. We established before the town is bustling with people. There is this like child marching band, you know, walking up and down the streets of Amity rehearsing. There are people everywhere. And Hendrix, with his, you know, box of art and craft supplies, is like, we had a shark attack! And, like, <laughs> yells it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, could you talk any louder? And what is <laughs> funny as well is that it it then kind of cuts away to the next the next bit in the scene, which is where we see Brody by the water looking out at the Boy Scouts. But I don't know if you noticed, like, Larry opens his mouth to say something to Hendrix just as we cut. And mm. I wanted to pose that question to you. In a, you know, we, we can speculate on this podcast. We can fill in the gaps that the film the film didn't give us. What do you think Larry says to Hendrix after that, after he has just yelled to the entire town about it being a shark attack? I feel like he would be like, uh, one, shut the hell up. <laughs> to let's go back to like we got to find chief brody like i feel like he's very he hears shark attack and even though that's something particularly as the main leader of the town that has to be at least in the back of your mind knowing you're an island Mm -hmm. right and so i feel like mayor vaughn is like well it, it reminds me of this uh i don't know if you're familiar with the comedian mitch hedberg but he was a one-liner comedian and he had this joke where he said, it would suck if you were a priest and the day came where you had to fight the devil and you were like, I didn't think that shit was real. (laughs) Um, That's exactly how I feel about Chief Brody or Larry Vaughn in this uh, situation is he became the mayor. He knows he's in charge of, you know, ultimately the well-being of the citizens and then he's presented with an actual threat and he's like i didn't think i'd actually have to deal with this i thought i was more of a figurehead (laughs) to look good when summer numbers are up and so i think there's a real panic in his eyes that he probably for the first time in his mayorship has to actually lead these people Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And like, doesn't he? Later, he gets referred to as like the mayor of Shark City, <laughs> and I think that is a title he never would have wanted to have. I think that this happening is completely. Well, you know, I hate using the word because it seems to be used all the time in this pandemic, but unprecedented. Like you, to us, it's sort of like you're an island. Surely you've dealt with a shark problem before, but it clearly hasn't happened before they they say that throughout so it is an unusual situation but it's also a situation that you should be prepared for and to give him a very small amount of credit i will not spend a lot of time on this podcast praising larry vaughan but he does then act or react quickly to what hendrix tells him um it doesn't sort of make it that clear how long it takes for them to kind of drive over to to where chief brody is but 
it didn't take Brody long to get there and it doesn't yeah. seem to take them that long to to catch up with him so presumably it's maybe I don't know a five minute drive away but in the film terms it happens pretty instantly and in that time not only has he kind of decided on his course of action which is basically going to tell Brody what are you doing he has also gathered his backup his his cronies to like we refer to them as yes men as well just to kind of stand there and back him up so i would love to be a fly on the wall in that car journey as well because it's who is it it's the the medical inspector the guy from the newspaper larry another guy who i don't know and yeah. hendrix all all in this car so i imagine yeah. on the drive over there they've kind of had this conversation of like right this is this is what we're going to do um because they s- seem to have it figured out i mean it is quite reactive what they choose to do rather than sort of let's sit down with brody and find out the find out the facts or find out what's going on and there's also enough time for larry to to get to the to the medical inspector and have him completely change his story and you can't help but think that maybe some money changed hands at some Mm -hmm. point in that car journey because it is pointed out once they're on that ferry Brody I think says to him is like you that's not what you said to me on the phone this morning and then he says I was you know I was wrong and I wrote in my notes I was like he is lying and I wrote that in all caps and underlined it because it's it's so (laughs) it's so patently obvious that he is lying and it's you know mere moments ago was he having a conversation with Brody on the phone and you think that the people who work in these fields would be honest and would be looking out for people and their well-being but Larry is clearly a, a powerful man and he has very quickly got the people he needs around him and is ready to take action and we'll I think we'll come back to uh, the parallels with our current situation uh, <laughs> around that issue as well. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, one of the things is I love the way this scene is blocked out um, mm-hmm. from uh, basically from where the camera's placed to where Hendrix and the other guy are placed and the ferry operator and the, the uh, what, Harry, is that his name? Harry. The new- newspaper guy, yeah, Harry Meadows. Yeah. yeah, Harry and Larry and the medical <laughs> inspector. And uh, the way they just kind of corner him against the side of the boat and separate him from Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Um, and they give, they give, and we'll talk more about this next week because they emphasize it even more in the back half of the scene. Um, but they just really have all the power in this scene. And the way... Spielberg decided to block the actors and this completely conveys that in a really subtle but great way. There's this, um, this is not my analysis at all, uh, <laughs> but this there's this great um, YouTube video from my all-time favorite YouTube channel that is unfortunately now defunct called Every Frame a Painting. And uh, he's, he's a professional editor and he did these video essays about movie things, but one of my favorites, probably because Spielberg is my favorite director, is called The Spielberg Wonner. And he basically talks about how the long take in movies is super cool. And 
it can be really flashy and draw a lot of attention to itself the way, let's say, like, Alfonso Cuaron does it or uh, uh, Martin Scorsese. I don't know why I had a hard time with Martin Scorsese's name. <laughs> and um, he basically shows that Spielberg kind of does long takes all the time, but mm-hmm. never calls attention to them. And this is one of them, I think, because the whole scene, the camera's just hanging out in the corner of the ferry. Mm. And instead of the camera moving, the ferry is moving and it makes the background really dynamic because Mm -hmm. it's constantly in motion. And so it's really interesting to look at because it's the scene where the camera's mounted the exact same place for the entirety of the conversation, but it's very um, dynamic. Even though the camera's in a static position, the entire scene is very dynamic. And so... I think that's why it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's just very, the filmmaking on display from the blocking, the pacing, the performances, and the the cinematography and camera placement is so on point. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just so cool. (laughs) Yeah, you almost don't notice that it is like a a one take long shot type of thing. I think it is because Mm -hmm. like you said, the background is moving and is very dynamic and you're sort of seeing the 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 ferry turning around and heading out to to see Brody is obviously going out to to flag down the boy scouts um but there's something yeah there's something very interesting about where the characters are all positioned like you said there is that very deliberate barrier placed between the person the only person um who could back Brody up on this is Hendrix and Hendrix says nothing i believe at least not in this part of the scene i can't remember if he says something in the the bit we'll talk about next week we'll 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 get to that but yeah he he has been silenced and there is you know three four people sorry put between him and brody brody is on his own he has nowhere to go he is now at sea as well (laughs) um and is backed against this fence and they are you know they they surround him and it's the effect it has is quite intimidating, actually, even though the tone of the conversation is fairly light. I think it's it's underpinned with being quite patronising and they clearly have an agenda as well that they are trying to establish. And I think one of the most patronising lines is when uh larry says to him he's like it's your first summer you know and it's like yeah clearly he knows he knows when he moved here we actually it's a great callback to the first scene with Brody and ellen where you know he makes the observation that it didn't used to be hot in that room and this is because it is their first summer on the island but just that larry just taking that opportunity to remind him again that he is not from around here he is a newcomer this is his first summer it's really it's really putting him down and it's also removing the person who could who could back him up and the cynical part of my brain also thinks that on that car ride on the way there they somehow managed to find a way to silence Hendrix as well. I believe Hendrix to be a good person. I don't think he would accept a, a bribe or something along those lines perhaps like the medical inspector might have done but he has clearly been got to by by the other guys and they've sort of they've silenced him and they are now really cementing their authority in in this scene and putting Brody down in the process as well 
Yeah, I think, well, I think Hendrix has a really hard time asserting himself and advocating for um, mm. himself, even though he might want to, because we see later in the in the movie, he keeps going to, when, when everyone starts showing up to collect the bounty on the shark, and uh, it's just chaos on the docks, and <laughs> Hendrix comes up to him and is like, hey, Chief, what are we doing? He's like, I, don't, I can't get through to these people. Like, I need you to go talk to them. They're your people. Mm. And so I think he might just be so ingrained in amity even though he is a good person like i think he might be so ingrained in amity and understand how the power dynamics work that he's like well this is the mayor like you don't want to you know cross the mayor he's the mayor <laughs> yeah. um that's the vibe i get from hendrix in this scene but i also think um this scene it almost plays off plays like a shakedown like there it's mm. like you said the the tone of the conversation itself isn't intimidating but the body language is very like aggressive Mm -hmm. and i mean you could i feel like you could replace the the like larry and harry and the medical inspector with uh robert de niro joe pesci and ray liotta from goodfellas (laughs) and it would be the same scene yeah (laughs) that's a very good point it is very that (laughs) also uh there's a slur in this scene that I've never heard before, um, which I know we were talking last week about the um, the the ginks, the summer ginks coming down. Ah, uh, yeah. The 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 Boy Scout troop leader uses a slur at one of the kids. <laughs> I did not notice. <laughs> he says, "I'm not going to repeat what it is," but he says, "Come on." He says the kids last name. He's encouraging them to swim faster, and he's like. Come on, you blank. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> what? I've never heard that before. It's an offensive term for Asian a- Asian American people born out of the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I was like, whoa, I've never heard that. In And Jaws is always a movie I thought was like kind of devoid of that stuff. <laughs> and uh, nope, nope, it's right there. Um, which, uh, I mean... It's this weird thing where obviously not cool, mm-hmm. um, but also really good sound design in the fact that you can hear it. Um, mm. And, you know, I think that it, it's just one of those things about going and listening to it on, on good headphones for the first time ever. You just hear all this stuff uh, for better and for worse is what I've learned mm-hmm. um, in the in the sound mix. But it is like technically very good sound design because it helps you establish where they're at. Uh, even though the line is very unfortunate. Mm. Yeah, wow, I did not notice that. And I'm I'm tempted to go back and watch it just because I don't like missing anything. But like, I don't know, do you watch things with subtitles as well? Did it come up in the subtitles? I don't and I didn't. Okay. I didn't, right. I didn't watch it. Yeah. Because mm. I usually, I like you, I watch it with headphones on because I, I then kind of pick up the background noise. But I also tend to watch everything with subtitles because i really don't like missing like any line of dialogue i'm a bit Mm -hmm. obsessive so i am after this gonna have to go back and and watch it and see if it's in the subtitles we'll uh we'll we'll report back uh but wow yeah that's uh that's something those poor boy scouts i kind of feel sorry for them now (laughs) yeah Um, it definitely (laughs) i think it does it, it does serve the purpose of and we i don't think we ever see who the boy scout leader is but it does serve the purpose of like definitely this former military guy who maybe did some tours in 
the Pacific theater in World War II or maybe even Korea and the beginning part of Vietnam kind of coming back and stepping into a sort of leadership role. Like that is a very, I think, American <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. Um, but wow, it is laid bare in that line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. He's now this like Boy Scout leader on a power trip, just going back, taking him yeah. back to his military days, like just, <laughs> just yelling abuse at, at poor children who are just trying to swim for their merit badge. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> another um, thing that we get in this scene that we sort of saw previously, like we spoke a lot about the the guy in the shop and the the fragile economy, I guess, of, of Amity. And that is emphasized again in this scene in a, a now very iconic line where Larry says to Brody, you know, after he's kind of mocked him for this being his first summer, he's like, Amity is a summer town, we need summer dollars. So he really lays his cards out in in this scene and it's clear that money is obviously something that motivates him and affects his decision making and that is certainly something very relevant to what we're currently going through and I think most of our comparisons we're making between what's happening in Jaws and what is happening with how our various countries are handling this current pandemic a lot of it comes down to you know the the leadership and in this film that is represented in Larry Vaughan and he is clearly in this moment you know he's heard supposedly what has happened he is now in kind of reactive mode and is his concern is money and is losing out on money and in his defense slightly once again he clearly does have the best interests of the town at heart because he knows that this town relies on this on the summer income and any threat to that is obviously something that is going to concern him and i think as well everything else we've spoken about in terms of the significance of this particular regatta being the 50th it being the holiday weekend and everything else you know the 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 imminent arrival of the tourists it this is just in larry's world worst possible timing for anything like this to happen but yeah we really we really get a sense of of the man uh in this in this scene and he mentions as well something which is another kind of like recurring theme is rivalry i guess with neighboring beaches so he brings it up again he's like you know if the people can't swim here then they're gonna go to you know the hamptons long island i can't remember the other place um so he he understands how this town operates and that is the thing that is kind of his concern at the moment maybe in his mind he's doing the right thing i i don't know we know he's not (laughs) yeah yeah so larry very much uh reminds me of the mayor that my town had for a long time actually my whole town kind of reminds me of amity but just very inland right we're not no we're not anywhere near the beach (laughs) and um but um, my town our biggest exports are agriculture and oil Mm -hmm. and um the thing about that is those are two very volatile markets so the economy of my my town and county has never really ever been able to stabilize itself or be particularly sustainable so you see a lot of businesses open and closed based on 
the price of oil and gas, the price of domestic oil and gas, um, and the climate. We're a very climate dependent um, uh, uh, industry because mm-hmm. of agriculture. And then also, if it rains too heavily, there are guidelines um, from the state and federal government that won't let the guys in the field work. Um, but those are the two main industries you're liable to find someone in. I worked in oil for years and uh it very much that 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 economy very much reminds me of the fact that there are definitely you can tell the times when times are good and when times are lean um based on what you see kind of popping up and opening around time a town versus how long they are able to remain open um and Larry reminds me a lot of our former mayor, a guy named Harvey. <laughs> and so whenever whenever I see Larry, because we don't know a lot about this guy, but based on what I know of Harvey, we can guess. <laughs> and uh, Harvey was a successful businessman who owned our county's, I believe, only ambulance service so he had a complete monopoly on ambulance services in town and um once he made loads of money off of that because healthcare in america is a little weird uh (laughs) he ran for mayor and people voted for him until he retired and he passed away shortly after he retired so he was mayor for a long time. He won at re-election every time, I think, because people got used to seeing his name on the ambulances around town. Um, his last name was Hall. So Hall Ambulance was the company. And uh, you can see, you would see him often kind of just as a figurehead. Like, I don't remember anything he actually really did as mayor <laughs> that helped or hurt our economy necessarily. I also... Mm. He was mayor long before I got really invested into politics. So maybe there was some, I don't know. I've never felt like our local politics have been particularly volatile either way. Um, And so he's always, he, uh, Harvey always struck me as very much just a figurehead because town's got to have a mayor and it's better than electing a dog like some cities here. And so (laughs) with that, the only times I really interacted with Harvey were, uh, uh, when I was doing audio engineering professionally, I would either have to do sound for an event that he was speaking and I would have to, you know, give him his microphone and everything. Or when I had my young niece and young nephew graduate from preschool, I guess he ha- he was some sort of stakeholder in the private preschool that they attended. And he was at both of their preschool graduations, which I thought was strange because I don't think he had any children going through <laughs> it. But I think it's because he was a board member. Yeah. But at, no matter what... He was dressed like a candy cane always. He had this like (laughs) red and white striped carnival barker suit. And he had this shock of white hair and this like white. He looked like Colonel Sanders from KFC. Um, But he very much always gave me a Larry Vaughn vibe because he was known for his goofy suits. Mm -hmm. And he never really actually did anything of note. As our mayor. Mm. And our town never really had to deal with anything um, outside of the normal economic processes of the, the, the bubble inflating and bursting on the oil and gas and agriculture industry that we have here, which predates him 
by decades. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, any mess that he inherited, he he got, you know, from someone else or whatever. And so he never, like, was, I don't know, he was just kind of there. And I feel like that's how Larry is. is it, I feel like he's, I feel like he's been mayor of Amity for a really long time. And I feel like yeah. he has some, so, he came from some sort of successful business that ran in Amity that made him a figurehead and everyone was like oh hey i know that guy i'll vote for him next time because he's never done anything Mm. so we might as well we might as well vote him back in because i don't know yeah i don't know who (laughs) you know this guy this other guy or gal is like uh So that's that's how I always have related to Larry is he very much reminds me of Harvey Hall from from Bakersfield where it's like you've never had to deal with anything and now that you do you're in over your head. Yeah, way over his head. And actually that's a, a good point because I believe I I think Larry's business is in real estate. So I think it's it says it like on the side of the car, I think. Um, or maybe mm. the building he comes out of. I'm I'm sure that's that's kind of what he is. I don't know if that's what he still does, but he is clearly a a well respected figure in this town and is a small town as we've established. So yeah, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense in that you know this guy he's probably he's probably an islander. He's probably you know born and raised there. He's got this successful real estate business, is seen as a reputable member of of society, so therefore he clearly has the ability to to govern, to lead this town, Um, but he kind of doesn't. I mean, (laughs) he is, he's certainly, you know, quick to take action. Uh, What he decides to do is obviously questionable, but he has the good sense to at least gather the people around him to to back him up and yeah how how uh, he kind of got to that position you know being being mayor we don't know but i yeah from from what you're saying the similarities with with this this mayor of where you lived and you know what we know about him and what we see of his character later in the film that seems to make a lot of sense. He is clearly a guy who has a lot of power and influence, but what comes across, I think, right at the start of their conversation is what Larry is now doing is meddling in something Mm. that I don't really think... It's not that he doesn't have the authority to meddle, but it's not... There is that whole debate, like, right at the start, isn't there, where Larry says... um, he questions Brody's authority. Uh, you know, Brody's like, uh, you know, we've got to... Or he says like something like, I've heard you're going to close the beaches. And he's like, on whose authority? And Brody's like, well, what authority do I need? Like, I, you know, as he says later, I can do what I want. I'm the chief of police. And, uh, but, you know, he then has the, the the guy next to him, Harry Meadows, being like, well, you know, you need a, you need a civic ordinance and you need a whatever... And then mm-hmm. Larry kind of shuts that down and he's like, yeah, that's if you're playing by the book. And it's a very, you could see it as like a throwaway line, but what that kind of like read to me is not only is Larry now meddling, he is now kind of going off script. <laughs> he's not yeah. He's not now playing things by the book. He is now trying to assert his authority in the the only way he knows how, which is kind of, you know, 
lightly light intimidation i think is the is the approach that that larry is going for here but he's he's not gone at it alone because i think if he knows he probably wouldn't win and he does need need that backup so he's you know got the the guy the you know the the press guy the newspaper guy the one who can sort of put a put a spin on things and you know come in there with the rule book and then you've got the the medical inspector who is clearly uh, a professional he you know whether you know, medically trained we would assume a doctor he is you know clearly someone who has some standing in this town as well so it, there's there's a lot in who he has chosen to have around him as well and how he how he starts that conversation in you know questioning Brody's authority I mean it's quite it's it's kind of outrageous really like of course Brody has the authority to do this he is the chief of police (laughs) yeah and it's this also reminds me a lot of Harvey Hall um there was always there was always a lot of accusations that there was a lot of corruption happening Mm. but once again he never had to deal with like anything really major Mm -hmm. so it kind of like one i don't think they ever solidly had any real evidence around him like i think it was a a lot of secondhand of like well i know about some shady business dealings but i don't have paperwork or anything so i do think a lot of you know well i think we've clearly seen this at the federal level over the last four (laughs) years here in america uh there's a lot of you know shady kind of backroom stuff that happens and so i don't think that's necessarily a surprising aspect of it i think Mm -hmm. it might be kind of surprising that this is happening in amity because i feel like amity is a place where nothing has really ever been such a big deal that it's necessitated this Mm -hmm. but i think we do see that um you know larry is clearly uh clever or conniving Mm -hmm. um or both to the point where he knows, like, he's saying, okay, well, we're going to do this now, right? So he he goes to Brody. Brody's like, well, what, the, what authority do I need? And so, you know, then the guy says city ordinance. And Larry says, well, that's if you're playing by the book. And it's almost, like you said, this throwaway line. But it's almost him going like, okay, if we're going to play like that, we're going to play like that. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's it almost feels like... Brody might have misstepped there a little bit to and Larry takes that as an opportunity to be like, all right, let's welcome to my world then. If we're gonna if we're gonna do this like a like a real estate haggle deal, <laughs> then we're gonna do this. And it becomes this um, you know, I think a running theme through the movie is like masculinity in a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. Um and I think this is kind of one of the first major examples of it. And I don't think I think the thing with Brody is he's not like you know he's not quint right like quint is is if quint is on one side of the spectrum and uh you know hooper city hands hooper is on one side of the spectrum i think brody's kind of the exact middle balance of it like i don't think he necessarily wants to find these conflicts or like end up in these sort of you know uh dick measuring contests with these people (laughs) but i feel like he he will if he has to mm. is the is the vibe i get from brody and so i think you know larry pushes him on this and he's like uh, no like th- this is you know i am here to serve and to protect and right now i am protecting mm. and then larry pushes back on him which causes a reaction so i think brody's kind of like more quint like traits 
have to be provoked out of him. Mm. And we see Larry kind of start pushing those buttons in this scene. Yeah, Larry's got real big dick energy in this scene. Is this is <laughs> my takeaway from it? Um, yeah, maybe let's let's <laughs> let's talk about. I guess we've we've spoken about it a bit, but I in this scene it was particularly relevant i think like what we're what we're going through at the moment so i'll speak about a little bit about like what's kind of happening in in this country and how regarding the current pandemic how things are communicated to us and then maybe you can uh, talk about how it kind of happens in america or what the differences are but so whenever there's well at the kind of like the peak of the pandemic here it would always be the prime minister or some representative from government who would come out to speak uh to kind of like make the announcements about what the latest you know moves were or you know the unfortunate statistics and that sort of thing as well and would generally always be flanked by either a medical professional or a scientist um or some someone else of kind of you know intellectual standing who would be able to add weight and gravitas to the the things that he was saying and that absolutely comes across in in this scene like i said with who larry has kind of chosen to flank him and they they literally do stand either side of him as well and have have cornered brody so it's like you he he has the the person who is like the the figurehead with the authority who is larry and then you have the learned professional who is the doctor and then you've got the guy who's there to kind of like put the spin on it and you know throw the rule book or or, or get the rule book out to kind of put Brody in his place um has that been a similar kind of approach in in the states with how they've handled things it it kind of depends because there's and we were talking about this before we started recording the way Mm. the states is set up is we have our individual states and those states have a governor but then within those states the uh they're broken they're sectioned off into counties and the counties have mayors and boards of supervisors that run them Mm. and then above all that is the federal level which is the president and things like that so it kind of depends on which level of the government is announcing this so Mm. on the county level it's been coming from our health department our current county health department and just sort of a representative from the Kern County Board of Supervisors not necessarily the mayor but sometimes the mayor is there announcing it but there's usually a group of them. Mm. And then at the state level, at least here in California, and I believe in it everywhere else, it's been the governor delivering the news and yes, also backed with a team of advisors. Mm. And then at the federal level, it's been, it kind of depends day to day, I think on how Donald Trump is feeling um, <laughs> that day. And so there was, at the beginning at least, there were there were kind of two major players. There were um, Dr. Anthony Fauci and then... Um, Burks, uh, whose first name escapes me. I want to say Amy, but I think it's because I know someone named Amy Burks. Um, and uh, so they would give sort of the full medical information, the recommendations about masks and distancing mm-hmm. and washing hands, etc. And then they would let either... At one point, Mike Pence was the, 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 the head of that team. So the vice president would come and say what that would mean for the states or what the states would then have to decide on. Um, Or after a certain point, Trump started getting really involved. So it kind of, at the federal level, it was kind of a mishmash of Trump, Pence, 
uh, Burks and Fauci, but Burks and Fauci were the two medical professionals mm. there to kind of support any um, concrete announcement coming from the president or vice president. So, mm. um, but they would all get a chance to speak usually yeah. before the final, you know, that would be um, either Fauci or Burks and then the representative actually from the, the government of the president or the, the vice president. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds, I, I guess, obviously, like, <laughs> Jaws, you know, couldn't have predicted what was going to happen, but it is interesting to look at these parallels, I think, and so many people have been, like, picking up Jaws at this time as well and being like, oh, wow, there is a lot of similarities with what's happening at the moment and how it is handled in Jaws. And we'll get to the, you know, the, the beaches being open argument because I think that's that's real classic Larry when we get to that point. Yeah. But I do, there's something else, again, really subtle in this scene. Um, it's just as the conversation is kind of being directed towards the medical inspector, I think Brody asks, you know, Oh, what you know? What could have what could have done that to that girl or something? Before the medical inspector answers, Larry says or asks the question: "Boating accident." So even though it's we as we've discussed, they've clearly had a conversation on the way, on the way there, their kind of party line, like what they're what they're going with. They've got their agreed argument. They're sticking to it. Maybe you know some dollars have exchanged hands as well. But it's the fact that even though the question is being directed towards the medical inspector that larry is influencing his answer in that moment as well it's like he cannot help him he cannot help himself he's like boating accident right you know like he is really hammering that that point home and i think the the uh, newspaper guy as well is there in the background kind of emphasizing you know yeah this has never happened before a shark attack has never happened before it has to be this thing you know i've been he doesn't say this but you know i've been working on the newspaper all these years we've never reported a shark attack so it's very clear that they're all kind of like singing from the same hymn sheet here but i just i just thought that it's particularly telling that larry is the one who kind of answers that question with a question and is very clear what he wants the medical inspector to say and did you i don't know if it's just me do you sense the hesitation in the medical inspector's response as well because he kind of a hundred percent yeah yeah it was more palatable than ever Mm -hmm. um watching it with headphones but um yeah i think that's the thing too is you know when a president speaks or any governmental authority, um, you expect everyone to kind of be on the same page. And we haven't really seen that particularly in America. Mm. Um, So, you know, the president will say one thing and then his medical staff will kind of have to course correct for him. And they've been very good about sort of sticking to their guns about what they believe and what they've seen in the, you know, the science and data that they've been presented um, even if it goes against something that the president or vice president has said. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, it's really interesting here because we don't see that necessarily, mm-hmm. right? So um, we see them all kind of on the same page regardless of any other data that they've seen, any other um, paperwork or evidence presented to them uh, 
contrary to this narrative that they're deciding to to push and so anytime the i I think the other thing too is because our president is who our president is he is obviously controversial uh understandably (laughs) and uh he also just he takes up a lot of room in these conversations like this which Mm -hmm. is like something that's been really exhausting i think for a lot of people (laughs) like Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of felt like most, for the most part, presidents were almost like Mayor Harvey. Like they were just kind of there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like since 9-11 happened and here, at least like the focus has been like, Hey, wait a minute. You're supposed to do something about this. (laughs) And I think, I think from that point until now, everyone's eyes have kind of been way more on that, that seat of political power than they had been for, uh, a long time and so um but just given like obviously the way he carries himself and you know everyone's seen it he's just a lot he's a lot he's a lot and (laughs) um i think because of that any any little thing is and can be a headline and any little thing between him and those advisors can look like dissent or rebellion or you know whatever word you want to label on it uh, you want to put a label on it with and so i think we just see that so amplified here like i don't know if it's the same way in the uk where maybe the, the the figureheads are saying one thing but the science team is saying another or vice versa but i mean at the federal level it seems like it's only that um and then like other states really aren't affected like for example florida's governor just came in and was like no restrictions like i don't care if you wear a mask or not you can have concerts your clubs are open bars are open go party do what you need to do and in california we're very strict Mm. um but i mean in my life directly what's happening in florida isn't really affecting me i don't know people in florida that well i like i don't think i know anyone who lives in florida and uh, there's such a like there's such a, 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 a strictness of California that I don't know if Florida people are really going to be wanting to come to California even if they have family here unless it's an emergency. Um, so I, that's not affecting my life day to day. What Florida decides to do. So what does affect my life day to day is what the federal level says and what the federal level says the state level is encouraged to uh comply with and then the county level is encouraged to comply with but i live in a a county in california that tends to comply more with what the federal level says while the state level does not (laughs) and so it's very confusing for a lot of us and it's really hard it's like a lot of information to begin with because no one's been through this Mm. but it's also really hard because at the county level certain people are saying one thing and then at the state level certain people are saying another thing and then at the federal level those people are in line with what the county level is saying and so it can just it's really hard to get the information across Mm -hmm. and so i feel like there's a lot of i don't like uh, subterfuge sounds a little too james bond to me (laughs) but uh you know there's just there's a lot of crossed wires in this situation Mm. and we're seeing the beginning of that here and we'll see that obviously with the town meeting in an upcoming scene Mm -hmm. but it's the same thing is starting to happen where on a in a microcosm like the 
county or the town government is saying one thing, but then the town police, which is technically a wing of the government (laughs) in America, is saying another thing. So it's almost like a state versus county level uh, compliance issue happening here. And so it's it's it causes a lot of confusion for the citizens of Amity. Mm. And when people get confused in mass, it's, it can get really panic. People can get really panicky. And I think that's what we're, we're going to see. Um, yeah. Sorry. That was a lot. No, that's all right. Yeah. I think obviously the, how the, the mass panic kind of spreads, it really comes from from this moment i guess and there being mm-hmm. there being a change or there being a conflict sorry in how two sides of of the argument are wanting to wanting to do things on the one hand you have the law or representatives of the law who have seen firsthand what has happened and they are taking the action they believe is right and then you have the the ones who are who are in, in in government or are you know at least representing that kind of authority figure in the town who deep down has the the town's best interests at heart but is is clear that their motivation is in business and is in money and we know that from what he says about you know summer town summer dollars and what we know of his standing in in amity as well he is a, a businessman or at least an ex-businessman and you know has ended up becoming mayor because you know whatever reasons sometimes people make dumb decisions with who they vote in um but yeah it's had had there been a united front from the beginning in how this was handled and i'm speaking both to the film and (laughs) in our current real world situation (laughs) as well you you start to think that things would have panned out very differently and i i think for the sake of the film it wouldn't have been as entertaining if <laughs> if larry had got on the boat and was like you know what brody you're right pop up all the signs you need we'll close the beaches uh we'll we'll work something out it wouldn't have been well there would have been less less deaths certainly and i think maybe the whole rest of the film wouldn't have happened um so (laughs) we can be glad for the sake of the film that there is that conflict in how they're wanting to manage things but as the audience i think in in this moment we are starting to align ourselves even more with brody and obviously he is he is the protagonist that is established you know from the start pretty much but this, there's no way I think watching this scene unfold as the audience that you would be on Larry's side. If anyone is, I would love to know why. Um, I imagine Trump, if he watched this, would probably be on Larry's side, but I don't want to talk about yeah. him anymore. Um, yeah, I, I, I've defended Larry a couple of times in this episode in, in sort of saying that deep down he does have the town's best interests at heart and i i stand by that to an extent but also in this moment he is clearly making bad decisions and is making decisions without having all the facts in front of him and with ulterior motives is concerned about about the money and 
his reputation, I guess, as well. If if he is seen as supporting this move to close the beaches, I think the first person that people are gonna are gonna come for is him. And we do see that in the yeah. in the town meeting. You know, he is very quick to change course and when it is clear that they are gonna have to close the beaches, he then, you know, interrupts and says, you know, only twenty four hours or whatever. And he is you know his his reputation is on the line here he risks not being re-elected again you know if he makes if he makes the wrong decision um so there's there's a lot on the line for him i don't feel sorry for him and i'm we're obviously always team brody from the start but yeah i think that in this moment it's very clear what is a about to happen and this is really the kind of catalyst i guess for the disasters that that occur after this you just get that sense of i think we spoke about it in last week's episode actually just that sense of unease and there's something about this scene the fact that you see characters lying through their teeth changing their stories and intimidating uh, (laughs) the person who who we like and who we who we know has all the information and is doing the right thing it's yeah it, we we now are painting larry as the villain of of this piece and he is i have argued many times off podcast that larry is a bigger villain in this than the shark i stand by that yeah <laughs> i think you know i i, I think you're right and especially because it's actually pretty easy to not get attacked by a shark when there's a shark in the water near you. <laughs> you just don't go in the water. Um, and, uh, you know, I but I think that's also the thing that makes it really hard for a lot of people is it's hard to do something without tangible results. Mm. I think there's something there's something about our like our brains are wired and like meant to recognize pattern and they're meant to to recognize a sort of reward system but a very i think especially in 2020 a very um instant gratification type of reward system Mm. like we're very bad at the long haul like i feel like only certain people are wired that way Mm -hmm. um which is you know i think why a lot of people um you know i think if you ask a lot of people they would uh, most people would say that, that they have a desire to maybe adjust their diet or exercise more or whatever because they would like to be in shape the way they see some people but that takes a long time and that takes a lot of work and so they don't like committing to that for the long period of time like you know i I, and i'm one of them like i will do one ab workout and be like well why don't i look like you know uh i don't know arnold schwartz not arnold like that's that's ridiculous but um you know like paul rudd when he got into ant-man shape like hey wait a minute that guy was kind of schlubby and now and now he looks like this like i did that one time why didn't i do that you know i think there's there's definitely something in our brain that doesn't like that and i think we see that here and with the pandemic of like this is a long-term thing that we're gonna have to deal with and we're gonna have to take measures with that Mm. i think for a certain period of time are gonna upend our lives and maybe make it kind of tough for us individually. But I think the long-term benefit is that we will be better off for it Mm. as 
a society maybe like as <laughs> as like a group of people who are alive versus a group of people who are not alive mm. right and um not to be glib about the the people we've lost in the pandemic but um you know i think that's the same thing with the shark of like well sharks are in the water what's what are the odds what are the odds of you know me getting attacked by a shark it's Mm. a a shark it's in the water i'm gonna be in the shallow part of the water it's the beach you know i've been i've been in this beach my whole life i've been going outside my whole life i've been going to work my whole adult life like Mm. you know um and so i think there's something about us almost intrinsically at least it it feels like that in america uh that doesn't like it Mm. you know and like not to say that the people who are complying like it um (laughs) but you know to be said all that to to be said of like invisible threats are a lot harder to wrap your head around Mm -hmm. just by virtue of existing yeah um and so i think that's what's happening with larry Mm -hmm. here i think that's part of it at least where it's like what a shark like we've never seen a shark here there's never been a shark attack no one's ever been attacked by a shark thousands of people are on the beach every day during the summer Mm -hmm. particularly during this time of year and we've never had that problem and you know i don't see a shark there's not a fin popping out the water right now so i don't like it's this almost out of sight out of mind thing yeah yeah it's i think actually we may have spoken about that on a past episode that the closer the threat the closer the threat comes to larry the more it starts to affect him and he doesn't become affected by it until the moment when the shark is in the pond and he when he's in the hospital with Brody later is like well my kids were on the beach and that's the point where mm-hmm. it starts to hit home for him because i think in that moment he realizes my kids could have my kids could have died this is now a problem that affects me and you would like to think that as mayor um he cares about all of his <laughs> all of his citizens but at this point again slightly in his defense he doesn't he doesn't know he hasn't seen the shark the only people who have uh, well you know the only person who has seen the shark is dead but the uh three people who have seen the effects of the shark or four i guess if you count the the medical inspector is Brody hendrix and tom and you know there is still they are just three guys at the end of the day and obviously two of them have authority and standing within within the town but you've now got the guy who is in in charge questioning that and being you know and being like well you know i haven't seen it i you know this has never happened before so why is this something to worry about and i can't help thinking as well that if the medical inspector in this scene had stood his ground and actually said what was true whether that would have also changed the course of events as well because it's it's clear i you know i will keep saying this money has gone into his pocket for this i i i feel mm-hmm. um but if if in that moment when he's asked you know well what could have done this to this girl if he then had gone okay you know i know i know the discussion we had or whatever but i th- i do think this was a shark that could have i i still think larry's pretty stubborn and pig-headed but i think that could have potentially at least planted something in his mind that was like okay maybe this is something to worry about because they are clearly people he's chosen to have around him 
the kind of trusted advisors in a circle type of thing of, of you know guys who he works closely with within the town i think all it takes is is one of those to be like actually you know maybe this is something we should be we should be worrying about but the the course of events that follow after this i think you could make a fairly strong argument for the fact that it takes the course it does because in that moment the medical inspector chooses to lie <laughs> i don't want to put all the blame on that that poor guy's shoulders but he in that moment is like no it was a boating accident and that is then it's questioning brody's authority and putting him in an awkward position as well because you've now got this conflict and all of this all of this happening with the kind of like backdrop of what is happening on on amity this this weekend or it being the holiday weekend it's just it's the slow kind of descent into disaster and we kind of like yeah we we can see where this one is gonna go now um and it's the characters in the film not seeing it that will probably have you like yelling angrily at the screen um i have the temptation to do that whenever i watch this scene because i'm like just listen (laughs) just listen to brody like stop lying as well i'm like urging hendrix to to say something as well or someone to start telling the truth but but they don't do it and it's yeah there is so much to unpack in in this scene as i think we've we've uh we've proved and we've got some some more to come as well next uh next episode we get to kind of dissect the last the last part of this conversation and and then what happens next but yeah i just that that medical inspector just why couldn't he have told the truth that's my question yeah this is certainly a pivotal (laughs) scene um and something that changes the course of the movie uh for the better for entertainment purposes right (laughs) yeah um you know it's it's certainly something that the rest of the adventure hinges hinges on and so Mm. uh it's to our benefit as the viewer but has some very you know quote unquote real world uh implications uh outside of that yeah so um also uh point of correction sorry i retract my earlier statement about the slur um (laughs) i went back it was it got it it got it got under my skin too much and i went and checked the subtitles while we were recording he does not call him the word i thought he did (laughs) and this this will this will uh clue you in as to what i thought he called him he says kook mm-hmm. k-o-o-k uh <laughs> not another word that rhymes with it if you change one letter um so my apologies <laughs> to the fictional boy scout troop leader i did not mean to slander you <laughs> for using a slur against a child an important correction hey look we unlike larry vaughan are willing to throw our hands up and say when we've made a mistake uh (laughs) that is where we are different to uh good old larry vaughan um (laughs) did you have anything else about this about this scene that you wanted to i think we've i think we've covered quite a bit but if there was anything else yeah i think so too um i'm interested to see where we have to go in the back half of this scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) next week um yeah i think we 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 got every nook and cranny i i think we're gonna get out of this one (laughs) but um if you want more uh 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 jaws for a minute content you can find us on twitter at jaws for a minute 
Um, our contest is still going for <laughs> uh, Shark and Handcuff fan art. We've received a handful of pieces now, and they are all extremely good and funny. Um, <laughs> they make me laugh out loud every time. <laughs> So keep keep them coming. They are very entertaining. Um, but yeah, you can get to us there. Uh, subscribe on anywhere um, helps us. Leave us a review on, I think, basically anywhere will help us. iTunes is probably the best. Um, Spotify uh, and iTunes are probably the best two platforms to subscribe. Uh, tell a friend. Share the episodes with your friends if you like that. Um, if you're going through it with us, let us know uh yeah thanks guys for listening um we've gotten a lot of really cool like feedback and responses and um i don't know it's been really nice Mm -hmm. it's been it's been really cool to uh have people respond that way there's a motorcycle (laughs) in my neighborhood (laughs) um and uh yeah if you want to follow us individually i'm at mj smith 891 uh sarah is at sarah buttery s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-e-r-y um you can email us any feedback you have jaws for a minute at gmail.com um oh we have a theme song so next week yeah friday the 13th um my wife wrote and i didn't mean to say that like bored out but i did uh can't help yourself that was good (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, it was my, my fault. I watched both of them this week. So uh, <laughs> she wrote and recorded. Man, that was so... I can't explain how unconscious that was. <laughs> um, she she wrote and recorded a theme song for us. And it is a banger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is some context for it, which I will repeat next week. Because at the beginning of next week's episode, it's like a two and a half minute song. You're going to hear it in full before the start of the episode. But it is written from the perspective of the guy on the docks after they catch the tiger shark. Um, who, when Hooper says, it's a tiger shark, this guy just turns around and goes, a what? And it's maybe my favorite moment in the entire film. Um, that guy, like, that he just, it like blew his mind that it could be a tiger or a shark is uh much less a tiger plus a shark um is is the basis for this song and so the title of the song is a what and it's actually going to be available on phantom stranger uh records which is a local um record label to where i am a friend of the show pat spurlock um was kind enough to put this together for us and it is so good it's so i can't i'm so excited for you guys to hear it i've shown it to a handful of people uh, Sarah's heard it mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of my audio engineering friends have heard it and they're all of them are like I would just listen to this song <laughs> if it was just a song out in the world <laughs> um, so it's it's very good and I'm very excited for you guys to hear it um yeah uh do you have anything to plug Sarah um yeah actually I we mentioned it I think on last week's episode um and I was on an episode of Fundamentals with a friend of the show, oh. Harley Mumford. I was talking about my love of Disney. I really waffled on for like an hour and a half about Disney. So if that is something that you would like to listen to, um, please go and listen to that. Listen to MJ's pinball episode as well. Yep. Um, continuing my Disney theme, I am up to 
the Little Mermaid in my Disney Classics rewatch. Uh, so you can find the episodes at Jumpcast. Um, I'm going through all Disney animated classics in chronological order. So I like to take on two giant podcast projects at the same time. So I'm doing a minute by minute breakdown of Jaws with you guys and rewatching every Disney film as well because, you know, what else have I got to do? <laughs> Nothing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um... For me, Real Perspective, episode 52, Cobra Kai, is definitely out now. I said it might be out on last episode. It's absolutely out. came out earlier this week. Um, the first chunk of it is just kind of us catching you guys up because we haven't recorded an episode in a long time. <laughs> and the back half is us talking about the first two seasons of uh, Cobra Kai. Um, yeah, other than that, I hope you guys all had a good, safe Halloween. We're recording this on Halloween Day. And uh, until next time. It's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>